Welcome to the Immerse Podcast, where we look at God's Word to see why it matters for us today. Welcome back to the Immerse Podcast. My name is Keith, and we have a special episode today where we are going to summarize and synthesize the seven churches that we've been talking to over the last seven episodes. That was very well said. Man, a that summary was, and a synthesis. Synthesis is hard to say when you say summary before it. Even worse to say synthesize. <laughs> I don't think I got it then either. Like a synthesizer. Oh yeah, like we're in the 80s, going to wear it like a guitar. But we're not talking about the 80s, James. We're talking about the, the 90s. 90s. Yep. So James, what is some 90s trivia that you would just throw out there? I mean, you, you mentioned in your blog trivia. post the Backstreet Boys, but yeah. what else happened in the 90s? I'd written that these, so these seven churches... Of Revelation 2 and 3 were real churches at the time John wrote this. They were real churches in real places full of real people in the 90s. Now, most people hear the 90s and you think about the 1990s, you know, the Backstreet Boys and Michael Jackson and what else happened in the 90s? I was trying to think. Trying to think about my 90s trivia, but it seems a little rusty. Yeah. It's not even that long ago, is it? <laughs> Actually, I mean, we're, what, 2019, so it was at least 20 years ago. True. But yeah, so real churches, real places in the 90s, in the 90s AD. Right. And so these churches all had particular struggles, and they all had particular encouragements from Jesus, as Jesus was the author of these, you know, these are red letters that we have been reading in mm-hmm. these seven churches. But James, uh, to start off here, um, I think today we're going to reference a post that you wrote online on a blog uh, regarding this synthesis of these seven churches. Yeah. But you started off by saying that there were several theories, uh, several ways of looking at these churches. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because people sometimes do read a lot into the white spaces of the Bible, and they'll take something that's just not explicitly said or even inferred. But, you know, logical, sensible thinking, you said quite rightly that these seven letters are from Jesus to these churches, and they weren't the only seven churches in the world at right. the time. Right, right. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, Paul's letters he wrote to the church in Colossae. Uh, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Galatia. Well, Ephesus was the first one on the okay. list. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yes, yeah, so you look at Paul's letters. He wrote to the church in Colossae. He wrote to the church in Galatia. Uh, there's First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Corinth. There are other churches. So then you start to think, why did Jesus choose these seven for John to see and 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 write down? Uh, and just as a bit of a sidebar, Paul wrote to seven churches. And Jesus gave seven parables about the kingdom of God. And we don't need to spend loads of time talking about why seven is the biblical number of completeness. But these seven, you've got to think that Jesus is not capricious in that he doesn't just choose stuff because. because Willy-nilly. Willy-nilly. <laughs> Jesus didn't do things willy-nilly. Yeah. Um, Man, that's a good sermon title. It is, yeah. 
but the point is that he, he must have chose these for a reason, but we're not told explicitly, which is why these are all theories, aren't they? So theories as to why he chose these seven. Um, but they're just, we should say right now, it's just conjecture. It's just an right. educated guess. Right. It's not standing... Uh, on a par with scripture it's it's just looking at it sensibly with a little bit of kind of reading and thinking around as to what I, I wonder why right. he chose those seven because he doesn't say but um, yeah there are a couple of a couple of really interesting theories but yeah theories nonetheless yeah that's interesting uh, but but James, uh, you kind of went on in your blog post here, and you said if we just take the final four, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, there's certainly a lesson for us to take from this. And I believe that as we began this whole entire church series, uh, and, it's, and it's interesting in the book of Revelation, we talked about it being split into three sections. And so you've got the, the, the present day, the future, uh, and the past. And so this was present as John was writing it. This was happening. This was kind of live action. But as I look at that being today history, you know, we look back on it today in 2019 or whatever year this is. As we look back on it, those issues that they struggled with in the churches still are present today. And still many of them are big struggles for many churches today. Uh, not only the universal church as a whole in all of the world, but also local bodies of believers Mm. Uh, there, there's lots of lots of these things that I believe these letters are very instructive to us and can really enliven leadership meetings, church meetings, sermons, can really help us be not only reprimanded, uh, but also encouraged to know all of, all of the lessons that we've learned in those. And I believe that you kind of pointed some of those out here. Yeah, some like the overall characteristics. So there's a couple of different theories. There's like uh, some people think that it, the churches correspond to different ages uh, of the church. Some people would look at, like you said, the characteristics. So Ephesus, they were backslidden. Smyrna, they were persecuted. Pergamos, they were promiscuous. Uh, Thyatira, they were kind of lax and didn't really take things too seriously. Sardis, they were dead. Spiritually, they just did stuff. <laughs> Uh, Philadelphia was was favoured, and they were holding tight to the word, and uh, Laodicea was kind of lukewarm. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you if you, even if you just think of the last four there, there are logical consequences that if that if we are like this church, this is what's going to happen. Coming out of right. the letters that Jesus uh, spoke, I guess to. Uh, to those churches. Yeah. You know, James, I, I think we've talked about the imagery between father and son before we both have sons uh, or children in general, but we have a heart and we want our kids to be in the perfect place where they can thrive. And I know that sometimes children, uh, young adults will make decisions and we see them from our perspective going in a direction. We're like, wait a minute, come back, go this way, because we want them to be thriving. We want them to live a life that is helpful to them and allows them to be all they can be. But I think in the same way, our Heavenly Father, uh, through the, the person of Jesus Christ here in these letters, is like, hey, churches, listen, there's a way to do things that is going to make you thrive and reflect my glory to the nations. And there's also a way to do it that's your own strength mm. that is going to do nothing for you but 
give you additional problems. And so I believe in all of these, particularly the last four, like you said, there are lessons for us to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if there are some lessons that stood out to you more than others as we went through these last seven uh, podcasts, but... Oh, wow. Um, or if there's just some general oh, ideas you have. What a question. Uh, I think the last one, the church in Laodicea, I think I, I like the story of the church in Smyrna, but then I quite like Polycarp. Right. So I quite like reading about that. Um, yeah, I love Polycarp. Yeah. But yeah, the church in Laodicea, just being lukewarm, feel like that, that difference between feeling that you're doing pretty well, but you're actually not doing very well. And it's, it's really strongly word, isn't it? That we feel that we're doing well, but an actual fact we read, you know, I'll, I'll spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. You're not hot and on fire and wanting to do things for God. You're not really cold and sort of searching for a savior because you're so kind of bleak and you've accepted the bad news about yourself and now you're looking for some good, you're looking for the good news. The lukewarm thing, I'll just spit you out, is that's a really strong lesson. I think if that, if that doesn't make you think like, whoa, wow, you got to stop and evaluate what and how you're doing it. Then Jesus saying, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Like that just doesn't, again, last time, maybe two times ago, you referenced a, a podcast that we were listening to and it kept kind of circling back through universalism and Christian universalism. And I just, that doesn't jive, does it, with Jesus saying, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right. And you do, yeah, you just think, what a what what a warning that is you're not hot you're not cold you're not coming to me with all you've got and you're not the other end of the scale you're not cold and you're not like searching and thinking like there must be something better there must be something more you're just kind of in the middle where you know about it with your head but there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing else going on you know you understand who Jesus is and what he did in theory but there's just no fruit right and James, I come back a lot to the power of living by the Spirit. And you have, you, you featured in a big bold letters here. You said we're encouraged repeatedly to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I think it's a great point that we as believers in 2019, we can say that we're going to do it in our own strength. We can have a great idea and say, oh, I'm a manly man, I can push through this. Don't worry, I've got this problem. And, you know, of course, God has equipped us with uh, different things that we all do. That's the body of Christ. But all of it has to be moved on by his spirit. And mm. when I think of this, I think of it as the influence. You know, we're either influenced by God's word or we've got like the feeling of the day. Well, I feel like we should do this. I mm -hmm. feel like we yeah, should do yeah. that. Of course, God's word just clearly says this, but we're going to do it this way or we're going to do it that way. So I think that's a really great point here with the spirit says to the churches, it is repeated over and over. And by doing that, we can have the victory and live in the thriving moment versus the, the suffering moment where bad things are happening and nothing's working and the church is decreasing in size and people aren't coming, aren't attending. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You also uh, said finally uh, here, James, that, um, we do, though, have characteristics of all the churches, both good and bad. Yeah, well, that's the, one of the problems with this church age 
theory so that you know the church of ephesus was the church of the apostolic age and after that becomes the age of persecution and that's smyrna and there's polycarp uh, and then we've got the imperial church age where we've got that marriage almost of church and state right and the like and then we've got uh after that comes the age of the pope and the papacy and then there's the reformation and then there's the missionary age and then there's apostasy which is a bit of a, a downer right but the prob the problem with that so i read well first it assumes that everybody in every church in every place in the world is the same all the time and a guy called joseph sice wrote about this and he said there are holy ones in the midst of abounding defection uh, there are unholy ones in the midst of the most earnest and active faith there's light in dark places there's darkness in light places so to lump the church capital c to have one defining characteristic all over the world it just seems a bit of a broad brush to be using really and when really like like you just referenced i'd written something like all of us and us being local expressions of the global church i've got characteristics that are good and and bad and you know that's all right because the church will never be perfect while it's full of broken sinners in need of a savior and there's that thing of probably heard it before that if you like there's no such thing as a perfect church and if you find one you shouldn't go to it because you going there will stop it being perfect right. <laughs> but uh so yeah the church edge thing is is certainly interesting and it does like it, it plots a course through church history i guess but right again it, it lumps everything in everybody all together all the, the time and you know even here and where we are in the world uh, quite a small place there's a few different churches and there are a few different uh flavors and um methods and and of how to do things that are that produce very different outlooks on things like the word of god and the context and how you read it and what you do so to to even lump in all the churches that we're surrounded by here in this tiny country you can't paint everybody with a broad brush because we're fundamentally different on some very important things so to do that worldwide would just be crazy impossible you know james that brings up a good point it made me think of something that i think that we do something in our weekly meetings that i think is very important and critical and i've been to some churches that do it and some churches that don't do it and that is we have a time of prayer and I know that during the year, there's things that happen that cause us to really focus on that time because maybe it's a difficult time in the age of the church or maybe a church member's in the hospital or there's a trip that we're taking. But to have that focused time, I really believe that the way that we conduct our weekly meeting should be a way that we live our life each week. I mean, we have to be praising God every day. Mm -hmm. We have to be studying the Word of God. We have to have time where we're focused on learning the Word of God. But that element of prayer to me is a way to keep this hear what the spirit says to the churches in check mm. because it's really hard to think selfish prideful thoughts when you're bowing your knee to pray mm. and when you pray you're you're focusing your attention on god and saying god this is your church we can't handle this this is your program not our program it's all about jesus it's not about me mm -hmm. so and the, yeah like you said you should be doing that the, that's a really good way to put it the, the church really should be a a snapshot of what your entire week is like so that we've said it before that like the gathering and assembling as the church on a friday 
should be really the cherry on top of your week. Right. Cake. Ice cream. Sunday. Whatever. <laughs> it should be the 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 pinnacle of it. And it should, like you said, it really should do everything that you do in church as the church. Right. That should just be uh, going on. I don't want to sound like a hipster, but that should be going on organically throughout your week anyway. You should be doing that kind of stuff. You should pray. You should worship. You should spend time in the word. You should fellowship with other people. Yeah, because otherwise, if you're living your Christian life without the influence of God's word or without prayer regularly... Uh, when you do get together to assemble with other believers, what are you going to talk about? Your selfish life that doesn't include God. I mean, mm. you've got to, I think that's, you know, I heard before, I think we even mentioned on this podcast that in a marriage, what draws you to your spouse is God being the center and the kind of triangle yeah, example. Triangular thing, yeah. So I believe in all relationships, what strengthens us, because we all come from different places. We're in our church, we've got so many different cultures and so many different ways mm-hmm. of thinking traditions, but what binds us together is Jesus. And it's so fascinating to me that wherever I go in the world, you meet people from a variety of traditions, you know, but we're all united in Christ. And that's exciting. It's exciting to know that, you know, the world looks at it and they say, how in the world could you get together with this guy? You know, he's not from our culture. He doesn't do what we do. He's, but yeah, we're united in Christ. And that's, it's an exciting thing to see that. Mm, yeah. I think there's lots of unity without there being the need for uniformity. Right. That's, I think unity ooh, is good. very divine. And let me get this right. Unity is very divine and uniformity is very human. And I think history shows that when you try and create a society where everybody's uniform, it's just, it doesn't doesn't go very well, does it? Yeah. Uh, but where you are unified in core beliefs and practices and outlooks, then it's it's a good thing. And I think, like you said, the church that we're, we're both a part of is a really good example of that because there are people from all over the world who love Jesus and want to know and grow in the Word, want to worship God uh, together and can um, do all of that in English, really. That's the, but if, again, we're in such a really, we're in a very small part of the world and there are so many churches that offer stuff in a variety of languages so if people don't speak english it's not a massive deal because there's a church that will allow them to worship and reverence god and hear his word in a language that they understand so it's not like again we're very unified but there's no uniformity if you if people speak a variety of languages in our church it's fine but but we're united in christ yep and he's the center Mm-hmm. He's the one giving the light. It's not about anything else or any other program. He is the result of the culmination of history. Mm-hmm. And I believe, James, as we... Uh, that just got really big, didn't it, really quick? Yeah. About I just Christ kept extrapolating it out. He's the center of our church, and you know he's the, the author of history. Right. Whoa, church of the world. Yes. <laughs> as we, as we uh, continue to extrapolate that out, I believe that we're going to begin next podcast talking about the future. And as we look at the future, I believe next time we're going to have a really special guest. It's exciting. Lord willing. We Lord, will. Lord willing. Yes. A friend of mine called Jeff Gype. Cool. Pastors in California. I don't want to get the place wrong. We'll let him unpack yeah, that for us. Somewhere where the sun shines and he's close to the beach. Right. So that'll be exciting. And next week we will begin, I believe, in chapter four. 
and we will move. Well, we've done two big moves already. We've moved from the past to the present, and now we're going to be moving into the future, which yeah. is still yet future for us. So that's cool. Yeah, now things get really interesting. Lots of symbols, images, uh, things described in human terms to describe heavenly things, which is you know you, you can only describe in the language that you've got. Some people think it's talking about helicopters and. There's all sorts of stuff going on. All sorts of stuff. All kinds of books <laughs> yeah. written on it. Yeah. But we'll do our best to uh, be faithful to God's word and uh, give it the best shot. Absolutely. So James, we'll see you next time.